when we build relationships with students and empower them with skills, emotional skills, does it work? And the data overwhelmingly show that absolutely uh, it impacts their behavior, but most importantly, they learn better. Mm -hmm. Kids who are more emotionally intelligent are better learners. Welcome to the Mission Driven Podcast, the show designed to empower, educate, and encourage you to stay focused and committed to your mission. I'm your host, AC Cristales. Let's get ready to roll. Welcome back to Mission Driven with AC Cristales. For this episode, I have an interview for you guys. But before I get into the interview, I want to say this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. And the reason why I'm saying this quote is because this podcast will be published on MLK Day 2020. And the quote goes like this, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Let me say that again. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. I've been working in schools since 2001, and I've seen a lot, a lot of things and the reason why I wanted to say this quote is because many times we see injustices on our campuses. We see things that shouldn't be happening on our campus, but we don't ever say anything about that. And so it's very important that we begin to speak up, right? We become advocates for our students. We become advocates for the students who are disenfranchised, the students who are, you know, kind of casted aside. And to be honest with you, that's one of the main reasons why I got into education. My hope is that as you listen to this interview today, that you will begin to understand that when we say every child every day, that we really mean it because it's easy to fight for the kid who's always doing the right thing. It's easy to fight for the young girl who's always has the correct answer, always is respectful, but it's one thing to fight and, uh, you know, stand up for that student that misbehaves or for that student who seems disinterested in school. So again, I want to make sure that you guys understand that if you see something wrong in schools or if you see something wrong in the community, it's not enough to just say something to yourself or just say something on Instagram or Facebook. It's about saying something that's going to make a difference in that community, in that school. It's about speaking out and making sure that not only are you speaking out, but you put in action in order to make sure that change comes. So without further ado, enjoy the interview. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Mission Driven with AC Cristales. Tonight, I have the honor and the privilege of having another doctor on this podcast. And she's an ELA middle school teacher and an avid Excel teacher at Bussey Middle School in Garland ISD. I have in the house right now, Dr. Elaine Valley. How's it going? It's going well, thank you. How are you feeling? A little nervous? A little bit is my first time. All right, well, we're going to do something. I'm going to do something different just to break the ice a little bit and to kind of just, you know, calm those nerves a bit. So I'm going to ask you 30 seconds worth of questions, okay? And all you got to do is just give me an answer, all right? Okay. So here we go. I promise it's going to be a lot easier than your doctoral classes. All right. Okay. So here we go. Let me set up the timer. And 30 seconds. All right. Let's go ahead and go. Dogs or cats? Cats. Favorite movie? Goonies. Coffee or tea? Coffee, coffee, coffee. Best concert you've ever been to? Uh, 
Maybe Coldplay. Okay, one place you want to travel to. Scotland. If you weren't a teacher, what would you be doing? Professional runner. Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. All right. There it is. There it is. There's a timer. How was that? That was a lot. Those weren't on the email that you sent me. No, no, no. Of course not. Those, you know, that's the hot seat. Those are the questions that will put you on the hot seat just to, you know, get, again, just to break the ice before we start the interview. Now, though, you ready? You ready yeah. for the interview? Okay, so... Why don't you just start off by telling, giving the listeners a bit of information about, you know, your family, your education, and what you do now? Well, I'm a small town girl. I grew up in West Texas in a very small town, like three stoplights, Denver City, Texas. Um, my graduating class was like 100 people. Uh, my parents worked in the oil field. Uh, very supported family, very huge family Um just very supportive. We, we played sports, uh, basketball, softball, bowling on Saturdays. I was in the band. Mom didn't want us to be too uh, idle with our time, so she always had us plugged in uh, doing a lot of stuff, my brother and I. Um, didn't really have a lot of huge career goals when I was growing up. You know, I thought maybe I want to be a veterinarian. Maybe I wanted to, uh, you know, just... I just didn't know. So I was in I was in school and I had a teacher that was um, found me in high school and he was like, man, you're pretty smart. So why don't you take some honors classes? And I was like, no, 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 I'm not an honors. I'm not an honors person. And he got me into honors classes. And after that, I just kind of excelled from there. Also had another person that was very influential in my life and his name was Bill Mefford and he was a youth leader in our church and a, a friend of mine asked me to go to church with her and so I started going to church, got plugged into the youth group and this man, he started talking about social justice issues, uh, inequalities that were among the races and and um, people that needed you know the, the haves and the have-nots and he just blew my mind open. So we started going on mission trips, uh, camps, talking about, you know, just, just being a, a, on the mission field for people. And so I really just plugged in, I just plugged into my church. And then it was time to go to college and I really didn't have much of a direction to go to. So I found out that they were trying to start a Wesley Foundation. So I grew up in the Methodist Church and they're trying to create this uh, Methodist organization at the first ever uh, junior college level. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted me to go and help start that. And I was like, heck yeah, I'd okay. love starting things. Mm -hmm. So I went to South Plains College. I wasn't very confident in my, in my schooling. Um, I was in top 25%, but I wasn't very confident. So I took some, some remedial, remediation classes. Um, I failed the reading exam getting into college to be honest mm -hmm. barely passed the math and so I took some remediation and uh, but I knew that I wanted to be plugged into this group this church group didn't really know what major I wanted and a friend of mine said hey my major is sociology so oh. I know right <laughs> hey that's right you just woo. That, that's some hey Okay, sorry about that. I heard sociology. I'm like, oh, okay. I so I decided to uh, do sociology as well. So I started taking all these, you know, culture classes and learning. And I was like, you know what? This is not that bad. Um, 
kind of went and did a little bit of nursing one semester. And I was like, nope, that's not going to happen. Because I, you know, I really was being called into the ministry okay. and working somehow into the church. Maybe doing foreign, because we went to a few uh, mission trips. So we went to Atlanta during the the Olympics in Atlanta. And we did some ministry there. We went to Brazil and we did some foreign ministry. We went to Four Corners, New Mexico and worked in the Navajo Reservation. And I knew all of that is something that I really wanted to do. So maybe um, foreign missions and foreign uh, medical missions is what I needed to be doing. Okay. So I went into nursing and I decided, no, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I became a youth director and I started working with kids. And I was like, okay, now we're getting a little bit closer because I'm teaching kids and I'm working with them. And also started working at a living center for people with um, intellectual disabilities. And I just started, you know, finding my, finding my way, but then it was time to transfer over to Texas tech and I had to, I had to pick a university. And of course I followed a boy and I went over, <laughs> I went over to Texas tech and um, the Wesley foundation they had a huge organization there at Texas tech. And so I go over to Texas tech and, uh, they had these positions like intern positions and I thought this is what I want to do and one of the interns there his name was Chuckaboo and he was from Africa and he wanted to go back home and he wanted to take a big group of us for six weeks over to Africa and so I went with them for six weeks to Uganda and to Kenya and we went and we did uh, a lot of stuff over there which was which was amazing and so I continued my sociology degree and I needed a minor and the only religion thing that they had at Texas Tech was religion studies. And so I started doing religion studies. But while I was there, I needed a job and one of my friends was um, a substitute teacher. And she goes, once you come substitute teach, you'd be good at this. Okay. So I went to substitute teach in Lubbock ISD and I absolutely fell in love. I was like, okay, this I'm, I'm warmer. I'm getting to what I, okay. I, want, I want to okay. do. Um, did you do all grade levels or just... I, I did mostly middle school, a little bit, a little bit of elementary. I just kind of dabbled around. I okay. didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. And so uh, I really liked fourth grade. I did that a couple of times and, and I did that. And then it was time to graduate and followed a boy again, I followed <laughs> a boy to Dallas all right. and we moved, and we moved up here to Dallas and, um, I started working at the SMU Wesley foundation, the Methodist organization and after a month, I was just like, you know, this is not me. And I left and I took a month, off, a, a semester off. And I was like, what is the one thing that really made me happy? And it was substitute teaching. Okay. So I went to Dallas ISD. Okay. I get into the thing. And at this time, I'm now substitute teacher. And I went to 92 different classrooms. It's the best decision I ever made in my whole teaching career. <clears throat> is I went from kindergarten to high school and I did every single grade. Wow. And I've just kind of just fell gravitated to this fourth through eight group of people because they were crazy and they were <laughs> weird and I just loved being around them. Yeah. And I was in Dallas ISD and I went to Rusk Middle School. Okay. And I saw so I was teaching SPED and this lady, Mary Kolba, her and I were uh, co-teaching and she pulled me aside and she said, what are you doing? Why don't you, why don't you do this as your job? Yeah. And I said, I don't know. Can I, I'm already graduated. Yeah. She goes, you go alt cert yeah. and we'll talk to the principal. We'll see what kind of class he can give you. 
And she goes, let's do it. So Israel Garcia, I'm throwing these names out because they've changed my life forever. It's awesome. Um, I went to him. He came in and saw me teach. And he goes, you got something. And so I signed up at Texas A&M uh, Commerce uh, in the next semester. And he gave me a reading class. And it was scripted reading, which I was glad to, to have because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I did the alt-cert program and I was teaching at the same time. And I talk about falling in love with something. I'm in class and kids are coming in and it's seventh and eighth grade and I'm just like, this is it. Mm-hmm. All these people come into my class to help me, give me, give me instruction. I was, whatever feedback you can give me on this job, I want, uh, I want as much feedback as possible. And so I finished my certification. I taught at Rusk for five years and I decided to move to Garland. Okay. You didn't follow a boy, did you? To Garland? I followed a boy. <laughs> I did. I followed a boy. Um, he lived in Garland and I kind of moved to Garland and and the gas prices were really, really high at that time. And Uh so I just wanted to get closer to home over here. And so, so I'm in Garland and I applied in Garland ISD and Janice Howard. Janice Howard, famous Janice Howard. Okay. And she found me and she said, we need you. So I was at, uh, Lyle's for a couple years and uh, time to have a child. So I was pregnant and I just, it was the only thing that could really tear me away from this job because I was teaching sixth grade reading, loving it, staying late, decorating. I just loved everything about the classroom. And uh, so I decided to leave. And at the same time, I, you know, I was like, if I'm going to be sitting at home with my child, I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my master's degree. So uh, I get my master's degree and so uh, I graduate and I have this, you know, this little baby in my arms. I'm rocking this baby and I'm reading books at the same time. You know, I feel like I'm, uh, while I'm getting my master's degree, amazing Dr. Page, he greets me every day. Hi, Dr. Valley. I was like, no, 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 that's not <laughs> me. That's not me. And he goes, you're going to get your doctorate. Well, I was going to all these research conferences. You know, I went to Chicago and went to a research conference and I was you know, all these, uh, going to all these people and listening to their studies. And I was so fascinated by, uh, reading cause I just wanted to know more. Once I found my passion, mm-hmm. I just jumped in and I was reading studies about reading. I was reading books about reading and ELA. I just wanted to become just a, uh, just a, a great teacher. And, uh, he goes, you're going to be, you're going to get your doctorate in this. And I'm like, uh, I can't pay for this. <laughs> and he helped find me a grant, uh, some scholarships to yeah. go to the doctorate. He introduced me to some uh, Dr. Linick, and I had a big meeting with Dr. Linick. And he was like, um, explain your GPA at Texas Tech. And I'm like, 2.86. It, it's because I didn't, I didn't have my passion. Yeah. And he go, I said, but look at my master's degree. And he was like, you're right, 4.0 yeah, the whole for sure, time. For sure, master's point. degree through my doctorate, 4.0. Never yeah. made below an A in for any sure. of those classes because I found my passion. Um, so got to the doctorate degree, and, and I will say this, it, it's been, it was hard. Every, every ounce of it. I was in there for eight and a half years, and they told me, you got 10 years you could, you know, you have 10 years to finish and I'm like, 10 years, I'll get this done in five, you know, <laughs> yeah. 20 classes, comprehensive exams, dissertation. And, um, I finished in eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. I, it was just, it was just crazy. But, um, but you're finished and I, that, that's, that's what it's about. 
and still teaching and uh, moved over to Bussey Middle School and still teaching sixth grade uh, and teaching ELA and found my passion. Again, just, it just kept getting better. Someone found me and moved me into the ESL department, loved it. Um, a job opening came open with AVID um, and I college of career readiness. And it, I thought my teaching couldn't have gotten better until I found AVID. Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, you know, giving a piece of pie to somebody and just like, here, eat this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. And so I started teaching AVID and then they combined AVID and ESL together for AVID Excel. And it was like, it just kept getting better. And so that's what I'm teaching now. I'm at Bussy Middle School and I'm teaching um, ELA and teaching kids reading and writing and also teaching AVID Excel. That's awesome. That's awesome. Very good. So you're at Bussy Middle School, but before we get into the next set of questions that I have for you, I just, you know, as I was listening to you, I was just thinking your whole life has been impacted by educators. You right. know, you talk about how your teacher told you, hey, you need to get into honors classes. And then you talked about, you know, your youth minister, correct? And yeah. I, I see a youth minister as an educator, you yeah. know, not not necessarily that they're in a classroom, but they're educating you. They're they're drawing out the passion. You know, one of the things that I've talked about on a previous podcast is that, you know, the, ed, the word education means to draw out. So there he was drawing out something from, you You know, sure. he saw potential in you. You know, obviously you got involved in the ministry and youth ministry and you did the work going to, you know, Brazil and all those spots. So he was drawing that out from you. And then you go to college. Right. And again more more professors and people drawing out from you and then you go into Dallas ISD and then again another educator hey right. hey you know Elaine you know you got to see you and then hey you're going to be a doctor so your life is being impacted Absolutely. by educators so is that a reason why you love you know because because you, you're very passionate and I love it as I'm listening to you you're very passionate about what you do is that a reason why you have this passion for, for students Absolutely. Okay. I think that people have found a light inside of me that maybe I didn't know that I had. And what I like to do is find the light inside of other students all the time. For sure. For sure. All right. So let's go into the next question. And I love what you said. So you, you talked about, you know, in terms of mission, right? So this mission driven podcast. So um, because I believe, you know, I strongly believe this, and I mentioned this in my last podcast, that we all have a God-given mission. So here we are in a new year, 2020, you know, whether, you know, it's your life's mission or whether you, you feel it's a it's a mission from, from a greater power or whatever, right? But we all have a purpose in life. And I think when we, when we live life that way, right, when we live life with a mission or we live life with a purpose, we approach it a little bit differently. So, what do you feel is your life's mission? And you've, you've touched on it a little bit, but how does, how does it, which is perfect, which is perfect because it, it flows right into what the questions that, you know, I had sent to you to prepare for this podcast, but how do you feel your life's mission? And you, you talked about, you want to bring out the light in others. How does it align with the work that you do as a teacher on a day-to-day -day basis? So my name, Elaine, actually a derivative of Helen, which is my grandmother's name, and it means light. Oh, when I awesome. found out it means okay. light. And so I really <laughs> cool. do encompass that. Um, loving greatly. Um, like Gandhi says, you must be the change you want to see in the world. For sure. And the kids that I see on a daily basis, I see the potential when I tell the kids, I don't see you as a 12-year-old. I see you as a 25-year-old awesome. with children. Mm -hmm. I see you uh, leading a business. I see you... Um, uh, being a teacher yourself or being in the military and I see your 25 year old self 
And they look at me kind of weird. And I said, I know what you're going to be when in 13 years from mm-hmm. now. I, I can see it. And I want to help them see the potential in themselves. Um, I want to help someone feel loved every single day. When the kids walk in, I shake their hand. Mm-hmm. Good morning. I could tell if they're not having a good day that day. Um, fist bump if you feel sick. You know, they some kids just feel like they need a hug that day. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind giving a hug. Or maybe they, you know, just need just need a handshake or something. I know that, you know, I tell them, step aside, get yourself right, and come on in, shake hands. But I tell them I have that higher bar set for them every single day. But I also tell them it's we're going to work hard in here, but I want you to feel loved today. And if no one's ever told you that you feel loved in my class, I want you to know that I, I care about you. I know that you can do this. I'm never going to give you anything that you can't handle. Mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna set it. I'm gonna set it hard. It might, it may hurt. It may feel a little uncomfortable today. What we're doing today, yeah. but I'm here. I'm gonna get you ready for the rest of your life. That's awesome. Very good. And I love that. You know. So you talk about light. You want to be the light. And I remember, you know, when I was teaching and when I was, you know, doing, you know, principal work. I was like, this is my calling. This is my ministry, you know, and, and so many times, you know, people think, well, you have to be in a, in a, in a church setting mm-hmm. to be in ministry. No, man, you, your mission field is wherever you're placed at. And, and I love that, you know, you just mentioned, okay, so I can gauge the kids, right? I can gauge how they're feeling and, and I can set the tone. I can be that light. Yeah. I'm not in a church setting, but I can be that light when they come into my classroom, they can know that they're loved when they're come, when they come into my classroom. They can know that there's a teacher that sees them as who they could be. So that isn't that what ministry is all about. Isn't that what you know being called to to be light is all about? So right. that, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, that. I saw I saw something on Twitter the other day, and it said, "Be the kind of teacher kids are excited about when they see their schedule for the first time." I want kids to see the schedule and say, "Yes, I have Doctor Valley. Yeah, you know, sure. I have that as my teacher." Not the teacher that they're like, oh man, you know, maybe, maybe they say that at first cause they're like, oh, I'm going to have to work really hard in that <laughs> class, but th- they're excited to come to my class every day. For sure. For sure. So one of the things, you know, one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on here is because I mean, Hey, you've done it, you know, and I, and I never knew this and I'm glad I interviewed you. I didn't know, you know, you, you went to college and you had to take remedial courses, you know, I did. My, I would have been like, nah, you're four pointer the whole way. No, but that just shows. That just shows that it doesn't matter how you start; it matters how you finish. So kudos for, for you, you know, you. for for just doing that. And anybody else who's listening, like seriously, just because you know you bombed out, you know, your freshman year of college, or maybe you're in high school and you're like, well, who who's to say I could be a, a doctor? But hey, it's all about how you finish. So thank you so much for sharing that. Mm. But I wanted to get you on here just to discuss a little bit about, you know, your study, your dissertation. Um, So first question. So what inspired you to do your study on middle school librarians perceptions and promotion of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and questioning books? It's a long title, right? (laughs) Hey, Um, but they talk about in your dissertation, you have to be as specific as possible. Specific as possible. (laughs) And uh, so... The first topic that I wanted to be uh, was was with read alouds and I was working with middle school students. I was reading aloud information to them and, and stories and I wanted to do something with that. Um, but then I was in my winter mini class and there was this huge debate going on about this book called Ballerina Boy or Ballerina Boy That Wears Dresses or Boy That Wears Dresses. I can't remember the name of it. 
But what I remember was this really big debate going on between these educators. I mean, these are people getting their doctorates. And so we have principal over here, we have instructional coaches, uh, teachers over here, conservatives, liberals, and they're all discussing this book. And we're also taking these classes on what's hot and what's not in, in research. And one of the biggest things was LGBTQ studies. And yeah, I really liked the read aloud topic, but they say you pick a topic, you really got to like your topic. Exactly. So I'm sitting there fascinated, like I'm just soaking it all in, watching these people. I didn't, I didn't join in because I didn't know what I really felt at the time. And I'm, you know, I'm looking. And so um, the first school that I was at was at Rusk Middle School, which is down the street from one of the largest uh, gay churches in North America, um, Cathedral of Hope. And so a lot of those people had given us books. Um, they had, uh, you know, people were coming to teach at our school. And I was meeting some of the best, I mean, some of the best people I've met since I've been in Dallas. And, um, and so when I was, I was challenging myself, like, what do I think about this book? Are there other books like this? And Dr. Boggs, that was in charge of the class, she wanted us to pick a project. And I didn't know what my project was going to be. It had to be about books. And here I am seeing this great topic. And I'm like, you know what? I want to get in the middle of this. So, and I do like a little controversy. Yeah. So I, okay. I don't shy away from, so I run marathons. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll run. Okay. That's okay. So I jump in the middle of this uh, contemporary uh, issue and I start researching, uh, I call it the, the mega list of LGBTQ books uh, for, uh, for children's books, adolescent literacy, and just those, just those two types of books. Mm -hmm. And so I researched and I was stunned at how many books are out there for children's books and adolescent literacy. And here I am, I mean, I'm a uh, reading teacher taking my kids to the library every two weeks. Mm -hmm. What if a kid were to come up to me and say, Miss, you know, I'm really looking for a book like this. Yeah. And I'm like, there's all these books out there. I had no idea. Now you said, you mentioned before, you know, um, that Cathedral of Hope was giving you guys books at Rusk. Mm -hmm. how, how did the teachers take that? I don't think all the, a lot of teachers knew it. The, okay. the librarian knew it. Okay. And then she would say, here, bring your kids in and uh, they get to pick a book okay. off, off the stage, you know, okay. the stage, you know where the stage is. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so they would come down and the kids just pick a book okay. and um, some, some of the kids just didn't even care. Yeah. And so a lot of teachers, I don't even think even knew. Oh, okay. And so I was like free books. I'm so excited. Yeah. The kids just pick a book. So, um, uh, I do this uh, research project and Dr. Boggs was impressed. And so her and I got together and did uh, more contemporary issues. So we did a bigger study and uh, her and I did, uh, we spoke at uh, a conference on contemporary acceptance issues. Why are we not talking about these issues um, in education? Why are we not talking, how, why is it there a silence that's going on and and that kind of led to my led to my dissertation talking about the silence and so, um, so like I said, I wanted to get right in the middle of things. Um, I took a uh, took a critical literacy class, um, talking about you know uh, why are we not the the haves and the have nots. I took a lot of those classes, and I was just I was just excited to talk about these contemporary uh, contemporary issues, and um, I don't know. I just felt like that was my that was my niche. I wanted to be. A champion. I wanted to find something that I could. They say, don't change the world with your dissertation, mm -hmm. but why not? Yeah, for sure. I started looking up uh, research over this topic and I'm noticing there's not a lot. Mm -hmm. 
there's people telling there's you know there's people there telling about their life growing up gay which I'm not mm -hmm. but I have friends that were mm -hmm. and people that were uh, discriminated against mm -hmm. and um, people in high school that I was best friends I never knew he was gay yeah in college one of my best friends never knew he was gay mm -hmm. and I kept asking myself why did they tell me they were gay yeah did they think that I was going to judge them because I was very conservative back then. And I thought, you know what? Am I the problem? Maybe I was the problem back then. And I thought, you know what? I need to do better for my friend Mike in high school. I need to do better for my friend Nick in college. I need to do better for my friend Jana that I met in Dallas. These people stuck in my brain. Mm -hmm. And I thought, those people which I who I love... Did they have the kind of books that they needed? My cousin, Sarah, did she have the books that she needed when she was in middle school and high school? I don't think so. Okay. And so I wanted to make sure to uh, kind of be a person to research that mm -hmm. and get that out there. Yeah. And this is pun intended. You wanted to bring, you know, bring it to light. You yeah, talk about being be the light, <laughs> you know? No, seriously, because, uh, you know, I'm intrigued, you know, you know. The silence. So, could you want to share why there's silence, or what what you found in terms of why there is silence on these know, issues? That is question number uh, five. Okay, my bad, my bad. I, I don't, I don't want to no, jump. Seven. I don't want to jump. Okay, <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. But I'm just like, man, you know, because again, um, number one, I can tell that this, you know, as you were naming the people in your life that you, and the people in your life that you thought that you thought about, excuse me, you know, it's very personal. And some of the best writing is when it's personal, right. you know, and, and that's just, that's a tip for any teacher out there. You want your kids right. to write better. Just let, let it be personal, About you know, let it be, you know, let them make that real life connection. Because when you do that, you put more, more passion, you put more effort into what you're writing. Well, so. and I was researching books and I was sending it to my cousin and because she had, you know, twins and I said, Hey, have you heard of these books? And she's like, no, thanks a lot. So I was sending these books to her and she's sharing them with the twins. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm supporting her family and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm adding to the research and I'm helping myself grow as a person. For sure. For sure. So in terms of, you know, so you're doing the study, you narrowed it down. This is what I want to focus on. I want to yes. make sure to bring to light, you know, what's going on in terms of serving this group of students. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what books, articles, or research studies influenced you the most for this study? Well, you know, in the doctoral program, you read, 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 <laughs> exactly. Read. Go find five, uh, go find five research studies and bring them to class, and yeah. let's discuss them. Oh, five more, yeah. and then you need to go get five more. Dr. Brown, thank you. Shout out. And so there was a couple that I found I was reading and just trying to get into the history and just trying to get into what's what's out there. And there was a two thousand six. Um, Kevin Jennings, which started GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, in 1990, he wrote an article in just this little bitty sliver that talked about how the library was a refuge for him to hide in. That it was, it was a place that he could get away from being bullied. He could go to the library and just kind of escape. And I thought, oh my gosh, that was me. Yeah. When I was young, I felt like I was being bullied. And... The place that I used to hang out in the summertime, my mom worked down downtown in a small town. <laughs> downtown, a, a couple blocks, was the library. Yeah. So I would go into the library and I would just read and just read, read, read. And the librarian was so nice to me. And, 
And you know, if I felt like my friends weren't being nice to me, the books never bullied you. Yeah. And so you're reading. And so I felt very safe in this place. And so I connected to this man. And so I kept reading more research and it was just a lot of study. And it was just a lot of stories about how they grew up and how the, uh, the, the books and libraries, but they kept talking about how they wish that there were more books for them. And they wish that they felt comfortable asking for those books and they, they wanted more books, you know, to represent who they were. And um, so I saw that there was a, there was a lot of uh, research on public libraries, mm-hmm. but there wasn't on uh, school, school libraries. libraries yeah. And now I know really why, because <laughs> there's a silence in those libraries in schools. And they really don't want you getting into those schools and digging around and mm-hmm. finding out things. And... Um, not that they're hiding anything. They just—it's a very sensitive topic, yeah, you know, definitely. with with kids in schools. So um, I knew there was going to be a gap in the research. Find a gap in the research. That's they right. say. <laughs> there was also a really good book that I read called "True Stories of Censorship Battles in American Libraries" and talk about teachers. I mean, sorry, librarians having a voice. They put it in the. Um, it was American. Um, Library Association published it, and it had these librarians that were um, giving their stories about people telling them to put books behind the counter or to not put those on or parents coming in saying, you know, this this book is inappropriate for my child. And I just loved hearing their stories. But what about what about school libraries? Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of research on that. Okay. And so I decided to uh, add that. There was also another book, uh, Stonewall, which in 1969 was the start of the gay rights movement. Oh, wow. And so um, I read that book and I was like, yes, this is amazing. Um, and I was very fortunate during the summer to go to New York City and I went to the Stonewall Inn Tavern and with my friend Lynn and we got to go in there and sit there and have a beer and uh, and at the same place that all of this took place, that they came in and raided the place, mm-hmm. and it started the whole gay rights movement. I mean, wow. how powerful is that mm-hmm. to sit in such a wonderful place like that? Sure. So uh, a lot of these books, like you know, adding history to my dissertation, um, and uh, hearing the stories of, you could just you could read the heartache of all these people that grew up and needed um, needed someone to champion them in the school system. And so that's what I wanted to add for my dissertation. Very good. So this will lead to the next question. What phrase or section are you most proud of from your dissertation? Okay. Besides the one where it says finished. Finished. <laughs> the one that says the last, the last, the, yeah, the last, what is it? The last citation. I'm done. Like here's my reference page. I'm done. <laughs> All right. So chapter two was tough. Okay. Uh, it's the a, lit it's, review. Kept, oh. The lit review. They kept telling me you need more. You need more. You need more. Um, I think I'm pretty proud of the history part because I wasn't a history major, and but I really got into hearing, uh, reading about the um, how uh, the gay rights movement started and and the history of uh, people that have fought for uh, for their rights, you know, since you know the turn of the century, 
And so I, I think I'm pretty proud of that section, adding that. I remember writing that, and mm-hmm. um, I was just proud that I, I could represent and put that in my dissertation. Yeah. They say that whatever topic you have is going to follow you the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, yes, I, this <laughs> is the topic. Yeah. I want to be in the middle of this. I kept learning about gay culture and being I just wanted to be as, as much around gay people as I could. I just wanted to, to meet them and just to learn more about them. Um, I'm all, I think I'm pretty proud of my uh, theoretical framework okay. because you have to pick you know two or three theories to back up. The more I chose these theories, I kept finding myself in these theories. Mm. So my first theory was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, and so this really shows how my classroom is set up that I I try to meet them in their emotional needs, you know, their, their physical needs and their emotional needs, because without that, they're not going to listen to a word I say about reading this book or, um, this grammar or this spelling or anything like that. And so, um, I used that in my, in my dissertation. I also used critical theory, which is, um, you know, you want to, it's critical theory is all about giving a voice to the marginalized populations to empower them, to help them question their existence, question what's going on, mm-hmm. the haves and the have nots. And that goes all the way back to my, you know, my, my youth leader yeah. that was teaching me this from the very beginning. Yeah. And so I used that in my dissertation. Um, and I, the last one I used was Nodding's caring theory about caring for students and making sure that when they come to school, it's not all about scores. Yeah. <laughs> it's about caring about students sure. and finding out, you know, what they need and um, and helping them achieve through more of a care and, and, and encouragement. Well, I like that. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking about, um, you know, the theories is it's all about belonging. So you think about Maslow's, right? It's, you know, belonging. Where do I belong? Do I feel like I belong? You know, do, can I walk into this classroom and feel like I belong? You know, because maybe at home. I don't feel like I belong. Maybe at home I don't have a mom and a dad right. that are there supportive and loving and caring for me. Because, again, sometimes we take it for granted. And so I, I know when I teach my students sociology, you know, I said, look, one of the biggest mistakes that you can do is to assume that everybody has the same family life as you. Right. And it'd be naive because I talk a lot about my mom, you know, in my mm-hmm. class. And I talk about how my mom was my mom's a hero. Right. To me, my mom's my hero. You know, she was mom, dad. But I said, I can't be naive to think that everyone in this classroom has the same type of mom as I do. And so I love what you're doing in terms of wanting, hey, there's this, there's this group right here, disenfranchised group, right? Marginalized group. These students who are, you know, they're, you know they have these, these feelings that society says you shouldn't feel that way. You know, if you're a man, you should like a woman. And if you're a woman, you should like a man. But yet we know that's not the case. So you want to make sure that they feel like they belong. So uh, I really love that. And that's another reason why I wanted to bring you on the podcast because, hey, that, that's, it's, it's bringing to light. It is. It, yeah. right, <laughs> there it, it is again. It is. Okay, the one last thing that I'm proud of is um, one of the per- you have people on your committee for you know the doctoral yeah. committee. And one of those uh, people uh, was that brought to light in my eyes is uh, the word homosexual. Okay. And I didn't know this as I'm going along, and that's why I was very strategic with the people on my committee. He was he said that um, we don't use that term anymore, and I went okay. But the school district that I researched was using this term, and so I put a section in there 
which happened to get taken out one time, mm-hmm. and I went back and put it back in there, <laughs> that the homosexual term is more of a clinical, it's clinically used in history, um, and it's uh, it's used aggressively to um, classify uh, people as emotionally disordered. Okay. And one thing I wanted to make sure that was in there that we are learning to phase this word out mm-hmm. of our vocabulary. And so that's just one little nugget that I was very pr- pleased that I was educated and I put that in my paper. So hopefully, you know, other people can be educated as we're moving away from certain terms. Um, there was a, there was an article that I read that it's kind of equated to the word, um, colored that mm-hmm. we don't use that word anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the same word goes for homosexual okay. that we're trying to get away from that word. That's good. I like that. The history and that's, that's history, the yes. history of it. That's good. So obviously, you know, in terms of, of, of writing, you know, dissertations or writing a book, my last podcast, I had, you know, an author on the podcast and now we were talking about, Hey, there's challenges that arise in writing, you know, and Hey, I've reached out to you because I feel like, man, I've hit a writing wall. I feel like, because I, I, the easiest thing is finishing the doctoral coursework, right? We, we both agree with that. The hardest part is this dissertation. This is a beast. So tell us about, you know, some challenges that may have arose and how you overcame them in finishing this dissertation. Life. <laughs> Life, exactly. Well, you know, I have, a, I have a beautiful son. He's 11 years old. And... You know, we have family reunions that go on. And I remember sitting in the camper at a family reunion, working on my dissertation and stepping out to go eat and say hi to the family. And they're like, you going back? I'm going back. Going back in there and missing out on family events. And, um, and so you feel, you feel guilty. I think there's a lot of guilt with getting your, uh, with getting your doctorate because, there's, it's very lonely, if you know this. That it is. Yeah. You're sitting there in your office or your or kitchen, library or your library, yeah. or your kitchen table and you're typing away and you wish that you were at the gym. You wish that you were with your friends. You wish you were doing all these things and you know that you have a focus. You know that you have a goal now. You cannot turn back. You put too much money into these things exactly. and, and you know that a lot's riding on you to finish and you know that you'll kick yourself for the rest of your life if you know that you didn't finish and you were so close to finishing and um you know the edits alone they send you you're <laughs> like this thing looks great and you send it to your editor penny harris amazing you know person that i used and you send it off and it comes back and it's like blood all over your paper and you're like i thought i did great and they're like why are you using this word and don't forget two periods after you know two spaces after every period and you're like, and, and the biggest thing is you go to your family at a Thanksgiving and they're like, aren't you done yet? <laughs> you look at I them know. like, no, they're like, how much longer you have? I said, I don't know, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. And they're like, that long? Yeah. I, no one can really understand. Yeah. And they, they ask me, well, was it hard? <laughs> I just go, yes, yeah. it was very hard. So it's, I think it's just you know what you want. It's not one of those things. Uh, one person told me I was, I was teaching at, um, LA fitness. I was teaching aqua aerobics and in, in the water was, uh, this lady had gotten her doctor. She's a doctor of yeah. something. And, and I told her I was thinking about it. She goes, it's like an elephant. You just bite it one piece at a time. And I thought, okay, I, I hear what you're saying until later I knew 
you, it's not immediate gratification. Exactly. This is not one of those things. It's like, you know, me running a marathon. You're not, you have to get through all 26.2 miles. You cannot just go three miles and say, yeah, here's my medal. No, no. This medal takes a long time. That's awesome. I like that because I was listening to a, to a podcast yesterday and it was talking about in society nowadays, we praise talent we we praise you know a goal so let's say somebody gets on social media and says okay this is my goal and everybody's oh yeah but we don't praise effort right and i was like man that's that's powerful you know because exactly Mm -hmm. like oh you know okay oh you're gonna you're gonna do that yeah i'm gonna do that but do they actually do that and that's where the praise should go when you finish because anybody can start a race and like you said anybody can say okay i'm gonna sign up for this marathon but it's one of those things where where you actually finish and the gratification comes from actually finishing and so that's one of the things if if i want to you know teach my daughters like okay you know you want to be the a good soccer player or you want to get better what are you doing to do that because just wanting to do that is not going to get it done just like you wanting to finish your dissertation was not going to get it done. You had to do those things, right? You had to, you know, like what you just described, like, man, like, you know, I, I want to be here with my family, but I got to take care of this thing. So sometimes you have to be willing to say no to certain things in order to get what, what it is that you really want. Well, and absolutely. And my grandmother at the time was very ill. And her biggest thing was she wanted to see me cross the stage. Mm-hmm. And she was very sick, like put into the hospital. And I'm sitting there, I have a picture of her beside me. Mm-hmm. I've got this little drawing that my son made me when mm-hmm. I was trying to get through comps. And I've got two on either side of me and I'm typing away. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, crying, tears rolling down my face. I'm like, okay, I just got to finish. I want to do this before, I, before she passes away. I, I want her to be able to see this. And so uh, being able to finish and I set those goals for myself. Like, okay, I'm going to go in October. I'm going to... I'm going to just put everything aside. I didn't run any races. I wasn't going to the gym as much. And I just sat at this table. I went to work, spent time with my son, and I came and typed. And so from October to January, I just sat and just typed chapter, chapter, chapter. And then from January to March-ish, April, edits the whole time. Yeah. Edits, edits, edits. And then graduation in May and did it. And it was worth it. It was right. I still sit and think, how did I do that? Yeah. I can't believe what I've done. Yeah. It's just give me something, I just want to accomplish it. That's awesome. It's just uh, very good. Now, this is this is the question, right? This is the question we were gonna talk about that I was trying to jump to. But it because it's just it's so impactful because I love what you said. This dissertation follows you the rest of your life. And not only that, but you want to do something that's going to bring change, right? So you're going through this dissertation, you know, you chose a topic that you chose. Now, how can I use this information? Because it's more than just a degree. It's more than just something that you put on your wall. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what information did you gain from this study that has benefited you with regards to you and the work that you do serving your students and that you feel, you feel could benefit other educators? I went into it thinking I was going to be doing more of a research for students that were gay and lesbian mm-hmm. or parents that were that students or st- students that had parents that were gay and lesbian. I didn't know that the real focus was the librarians mm-hmm. and that the voices of the librarians was not being heard. Okay. 
So I reached out to the librarians of a school district and sick, not everybody said yes. Mm -hmm. So six of them from, um, from the district uh, reached back to me and said, yes, I'll speak to you. But there were some challenges with that because some of them were, uh, I, I found out that they were kind of trying to find vet me like, who is this person? Yeah. You know, why does she want to know this? Is she part of the district? Is she mm-hmm. trying to find out information on us and stuff? And I had to keep reassuring them, you know, you're, you will be anonymous when you're talking to me mm-hmm. about this. And, and then they were like, okay, so let's talk about it. And the things that I found out is the silence. We talked yeah. about there's this silence um, between, um, you know, when you go to staff development for the district, um, the librarian said that this topic is never talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, there are students that need these books in the library, but we're not, ta- they never talk to them about how to help service those students. And so there's a silence between um, them and the district. There's a silence between librarians to librarians. Mm-hmm. There's a silence between librarians to the, you know, they're, they're choosing the books that go into the libraries. But, you know, do they really want to rock the boat so much so that parents come into the district and then they challenge these books? Is it worth the time and the energy to uh, fight for those books? Mm-hmm. You know, keeping, how, how do they put these books out and uh, do they just put an eighth grade sticker on there? <laughs> or do they which they do yeah. they put an 8th grade sticker on there and say if you're not 8th grade you can't check out this book oh, okay. and so they you know they just felt like they can't speak up and say this is what we need and then there were some librarians that said I won't say a darn thing it's not my place that's a that's a parental thing okay. and so if they want this book they can go to the public library oh wow and so it just felt like they needed so some of the librarians felt that they were being heard mm-hmm. and that they you know that, that they're definitely a silence um, one way that they did give a lot of recommendations were the types of books. It, there were some that they, in my dissertation, there's a little table that talks about some of the recommended good books for the librarians. And the librarians did take, some of them took my list and they said, man, these are some pretty good books. Thank you for, you know, talking to me about these books. And, and, um, even though, yes, the results showed that there was not a lot of the books on my list, mm-hmm. um, I did go back three months later, two, uh, three or four months later, and I just kind of went back and checked into the database, mm-hmm. and there were more books after wow. I talked to them that's about awesome. that. That's awesome. And Very so good. that's in the study saying that they there were more books later on, mm-hmm. and so there was a discussion being made. Yeah. I you know I started a I started a discussion, and more books uh, ended up in their libraries, which was amazing. Um, some other things that I've that I learned was that uh, there really needs to be uh, support for these students that are uh, gay and lesbian, you know, LGBTQ on campuses. These are called GSAs. They're um, they're gay straight alliances, mm-hmm. and um, especially for a lot of the research that it, that shows that it, that's out there is that middle schools in the South have higher rates. And they are, are more victimized than any students mm-hmm. that are uh, that are out there, wow. and so um, their access they have they have less access to uh, books that are uh, gay and lesbian, and so just noticing what's out there that there desperately needs to be a conversation about um, about the the libraries that are that are that are out there, also that LGBTQ students they're more they miss more school. 
They have lower GPAs. They're two times more likely to um, not go and play in any post-secondary education. They have higher discipline issues, and they have the lowest self-esteem of anybody in middle schools. Wow. And so me taking that information, um, I what I learned for myself in my classroom and when I talk to other teachers and they ask the same question or in librarians, they ask me and they're like, what can we do? And I tell this is this information. And so hopefully, um, you know, they, I know that Glisten has little stickers that you can put and I bought a whole, you know, whole thing of it and put it outside my wall saying, this is a safe space for you to come in and be yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that, that spreading that word and getting into the schools and, and, uh, you know, breaking the silence that's going on is going to be one of the only ways that we that we help support these kids for sure and you know (laughs) i have to say this because you know i see cute little mottos and i'm not trust me i'm not making fun of people and their mottos but people talk about every child every day you know and is it really like that Mm -hmm. if you don't offer services to support them i mean can you really say that you're supporting that student who's struggling with you know am i gay am i not gay Mm -hmm. you know so it's important it's important to have these conversations and as difficult as they may be but until somebody you know stands up and 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 says hey we have to we have to have a voice for these students right because they're on our campus and if we can't support them how can we really say every child every day you know you know there's certain you know so that's why as you were saying that i'm like okay that's that's perfect yeah for sure and i have to say this so i kind of mentioned this before we started the interview you know obviously my background in k through 12 you know has been primarily with latino students you know i was a bilingual teacher and then when i became an assistant principal the campus that i worked at was 90 percent hispanic so all my life been around latino students now teaching out of college now teaching around you know, knowing that I have students who, you know, are gay, who are lesbian, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's different because I didn't experience that, especially not in elementary school and in middle school, it's the silence. Even if there were some students who were gay or lesbian or who were questioning, you know, you didn't really hear about that. But now, you know, you go to college and they'll tell you straight up, you know, even in their, in their essays, I had one student who told me in his essay, you know, when we, when he wrote about, you know, his, his social class and how that affected him, he, you know, he opened up about that. And I was like, no, you know, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm reaching this student too. I want to make sure that I respect them too. So we always end, well, I always end, you know, the, the semester with chapter 12 and chapter 12 in sociology, according to the textbook that I use <laughs> is, uh, is gender, sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of those things where we're like, okay, let's go, let's have these conversations because they're important. Absolutely. They're important. And so. I remember, though, I have to say this, when I took sociology back, you know, back in 1999, uh, <laughs> my teacher didn't want to, she said, I'm going to skip this chapter. Right. And I was like, and so I always tell my students, guys, I'm not skipping this chapter. Mm-hmm. This is the one I'm, we're going to end on. And I don't do this strategically. I just do it because chapter 12, I have 12 chapters that I cover. But I said, this is important to talk about. So even if you, even if you've been raised to think that, you know, being gay or being lesbian is bad, it's not about that. Okay, this class is not about what I believe is right or wrong. It's not about that. It's for you to be aware that there are other individuals and maybe even some individuals in this class who are gay and lesbian. Mm -hmm. So how do we treat each other? Right. So 
I had to say that because, and that's why, again, I'm so glad I got you on here for you to share that because, again, you know, we have to, we have to stand up for these students. If we really believe that it's every child every day, we have to have somebody who's going to provide that voice. Absolutely. And even when you said that, well, you know, one of those librarians said, well, they need to go to the public library. Well, what if they don't have access to the public library? Right. Yeah. So You're here every two weeks, I'm taking kids every two weeks. What if they ask me for a book? Yeah. Do I know where those books are? If my African-American students are asking me for a book, I know where to go get a book for them. Yeah. But I cannot get a book for the students that are questioning if yeah. they do ask. Yeah, so. for sure. For sure. All right. So, you you know, one of the things that I love to say to people who are educators and people who, you know, I ask to interview on this podcast is that we all have a platform. We all have a platform. We all have people who look up to us. Obviously, you have your 11-year-old son who I know looks up to you and admires you and now He's got his mom who's a doctor, right? So you know he's he's looking up to you. But you also have your students, your babies, your kids, right? Your, the kids that you're passionate about, the kids that you'll stay up late, you know, thinking about what am I going to do tomorrow to make sure that I engage them. So what do you feel are two of the three most important pieces of advice that you can give to them? And now, I have to say this, now that you're a doctor... I'm sure you got other people who look up to you because that's just that's an accomplishment and that's a great accomplishment. So what do you feel like? This is my platform. Now I'm Dr. Valley. Now I have a voice. What are two or three pieces of information you feel are the most important that you can give to them? And you've dropped nuggets, by the way. So but here you go. Yeah. Well, first of all, I feel honored to represent women and represent the very small percentage of women that are doctors in, in the world. And I feel like I'm in this uh, upper echelon of, of uh, and I feel like I, I now hold myself to a higher standard because um, of, of being a part of such a wonderful group of people. Um, from a small town, be very B student, like maybe C <laughs> student, but my mom never bring a C into this house. Yeah. You know, my mom, I have to do a shout out to her because, and my, and my father just heart, the, Hardest people, hardest workers in my life, my grandmothers, um, just the hardest working people is my family. And they instilled in me that um, even though I was getting B's my whole life, I never understood why I wasn't getting A's. But um, if I can do it, anybody can do Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. Um, Determination. But it really just takes, I mean, I've done half Ironmans, I've done marathons, I've master's and doctorate, but it's all about passion. Yeah. If you're not, and I've, I've heard you talk about it before on your <laughs> podcast. So if you're, if you don't find your passion, I mean, it's like you put on a glove that fits perfectly. Um, everything I was doing up until then just didn't fit. But when you find your passion, it's like, it's not even work because yeah. you don't want to leave. You want to keep decorating your classroom and you want to make it better. You want to reach out to kids. And, and so my biggest, my biggest piece of advice is, um, I, we saw this on a video that we watched the other day in our advisory um, from Denzel Washington, um, dream big, okay. fail big, Yeah. Um, have a passion for what you're doing. I mean, I'm 2.86 undergrad and here I am 4.0 doctorate. There you I go. Mean, good grief. Yeah. Um, so passion's everything. Um, you got to click with things and then you have to crave things. If you're not craving what you're doing, that's not your passion. Exactly. I wanted it so bad that I wanted to get my master's and I wanted to get my reading specialist certification, master reading teacher, and I went to doctorate. And I'm a doc. I'm a doctor. I'm a reading doctor of all things. I tell kids <laughs> I'm going to prescribe you a reading log, exactly. and they're like, "No." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, 
the last thing I think is um, to prepare yourself. Um, and and a lot of people telling me, oh, you know, you're not going to change the world with this dissertation, Elaine. But why not? Yeah. You know, the people will. I've, I was a long time. I wanted to be a veterinarian, and someone said that's going to be too much work. Yeah. Don't be. And so I didn't. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, if you have a dream, you really need to go after it. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do that. I have kids tell me every day, I want to be an NBA player. I say, yeah. you do that. You yeah. remember my name when you, you yeah, become yeah. NBA. You can do that. You're just sixth grader. I'm just a sixth grader, but you're only a sixth grader. Yeah. You have the world in front of you. So don't let people tell you that, uh, you know, I wasn't the kid in class that teachers asked a lot of questions. I talked a lot. Yeah. And so I think they wanted me to be quiet most of the time. <laughs> And um, I really wasn't the A honor roll student. I was really the kid in the middle. Yeah. I didn't get in trouble, but I wasn't the A honor roll student. And so I was just kind of like, felt like, felt like I was always falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And so um, my biggest thing is to find those kids that are falling through the cracks. Yeah. And that's what I do every single day is try yeah. to find them and to give them the best gift that I can give them, which is to learn how to read, which is to feel loved. And to be a better writer. Because once they can write, mm-hmm. they can express themselves better. And once they can read, you give them uh, lifelong adventures. Yeah. And so that's that's what I could say is to uh, to find the passion for kids inside of themselves even when they can't find it. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, um, I mean, your whole, what you've expressed in the last, you know, 30, 45 minutes, it's all about learning. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things where... Where we can fail, not just as teachers or educators, just as individuals, we have to continue to grow. We got to continue to learn and growth and learning is intentional. You know, if I want to be a better father, I got to, you know, ask the right questions and seek advice. If I want to be a good podcaster, I got to, you know, seek advice and seek help. Whatever it is that we want to do, we got to keep learning because the minute we stop learning is the minute we don't grow. It's the minute we don't get better. So. I love that you shared that. I love that you shared this as well. You talk about you're the, <clears throat> you're the, you were the child in the middle, right? You were the student in the middle. But if you really think about it, and me from an administrative standpoint, yeah, I know the kids who are straight A's and never bother me. And yeah, I know the kids who mess up, right? <laughs> who are in my office. But it's those middle kids that it's rare, right? That I really get to know them. But those are, make they make up 70 to 75%. Of those kids are middle kids, right? right? So that's pretty good. It just helps me, you know, when I work with, you know, with teachers and principals, like, hey, let's make sure that, you know, even if the kid isn't A on our own, because we always, you know, reward them, or even if the kid isn't, <laughs> is always misbehaving, and obviously, you know, they get the attention. Let's remember these kids. Let's remember the Elaine Valleys in the, the classroom. The B students out there, for sure, for sure. <laughs> So, all right, well, we've gotten to the end. How do you feel? I feel good. Uh, shout out to my fourth period class, Jesus <laughs> and Martin. They said to do a shout out for them on this thing. They were going to listen to the whole thing. So awesome. there you go. Awesome. Very good. Well, you know, this is your time to plug anything else. I know I follow you on Twitter and you put some great things on Twitter. I saw some things today as well in terms of, you know, your kids oh you know, performing gosh. well. So, yeah. you know, shout out to that, you know, for them doing well. And obviously a reflection of the hard work that you put in. But if some people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? They can find me. Um, just look up, you know, Crystal Valley, Dr. Crystal Valley on, I think it's, uh, 
K-E Valley underscore read seven. I think that's what it is. I'm not sure. Okay. I'll, I'll put it on the, on the, on the show notes. Look it on to make there. Sure. Yeah. Look up there and shout out to my avid Excel students that uh, scored, I think about 94% on the district assessment. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, so they're, they're doing great things in the class and. Awesome. Well, thank again, you, you know, no, thank you for, you know, your willingness to share a bit of, of your journey and your story. And it's, it's, um, it's inspiring. And I, I love that, you know, you said, you you know, there's not that many, you know, women doctors out there, right, who have earned her doctorate. And here you go, you've done it. So your history in the making. And so your, your kids are fortunate to have you and the school where you're at is fortunate to have you. And I was fortunate to have you on this podcast. So thank you again. And maybe we'll do another one. All right. Let's try. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Mission Driven with AC Cristales. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Dr. Elaine Valley. I hope you were able to take some information that could be useful and beneficial as you work with your students and other youth in your community. And I just want to say thank you for just, you know, just just sticking with me. You know, you're still listening. So I'm so thankful for that. Thank you for you know, we're 20 episodes in and we're not stopping. I'm not stopping. All right. And so I just want to say thank you again and just encourage you to share the podcast with your friends, your families, your coworkers, and, you know, anybody else who you feel this podcast information would benefit. All right. I'll be back next week with the solo podcast. I'm excited for that uh, podcast next week. So again, if you're listening on Spotify, make sure to hit that follow button. All right. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to rate and review the podcast. I would greatly appreciate that. Or wherever else you're listening to this podcast, if it has an option for you to like the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would do that. All right, guys. So as always, remember, the mission is now. So remain mission driven. Until next time, faith, hope, love.